Good morning. My name is Madeline. Today we'll be reading from John 16, 1 through 15, which is on page number 1,000 in your pew Bible. Once you're there, say God is good. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues indeed. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you. When their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On the first day of the Festival of Unleavened Bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house, as he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. here today and welcome to all the deer hunters who are watching online. Drop us a comment, let us know where you're watching from. Hopefully you have a good harvest this year, man. Well, I'm excited that you're here today. And um, before we get going, I want to create a little bit of space. Um, as many of you know and celebrated this past week, um, we had Veterans Day. And I tell you what, Westside is greatly honored and privileged to have many people who have served in many capacities. And we even have members right now who um, aren't with us because they are manning the station and serving our country. And so if I could for just a moment, I don't want to embarrass you in any way, shape, or form. But if you have served um, in any branch, Air Force, Army, National Guard, Coast Guard, Marine, Navy, Reserve, Active, all of that stuff. Could you just stand right where you're at so so we can thank you and let you know that we love and appreciate
appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Westside. You got to give it up a little bit better than that. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Love you. Thank you so much. And listen, um, unique experience. We we have out there um, on the table, there's some army men and a little soldier. I know they're army men, so if you served in a different branch, you're like, that's army, okay, man? You got to get it right. But listen, we want you to take one of those um, if you're a congregant and set that somewhere, maybe in a window seal or um, in your car somewhere. And every time you see that, if you could just just pray for those who serve and who have answered the call and unique experience for those of you who stood. Um, when I was purchasing those, um, I went there to Walmart and uh, the toy guy was there, who, by the way, was super passionate about his job and loved toys. OK, I was like, you're the man. This is great. OK. And, and I said, hey, I'm looking just kind of for the little army men, you know, the classic army men. And he, he kind of laughed a little bit. And he said, yeah, yeah. And he took me to this area, and it was just this little jug. It was like little bitty. And I said, oh, man, where are the big mesh bags? You guys, like, the big mesh bags, like a hundred of those guys were in there. And um, he laughed, and he said, yeah, man, I remember playing with those. And then he said this. He said, "Um, yeah, they just don't make them like they used to. And I thought, right? I thought, how symbolic for why I'm purchasing this and who we are honoring and and re- and who this represents. And I just want to thank you for for answering that call and and serving our country because they don't make them like you anymore. And so just one more time Westside, can we just tell them thank you for what you did? Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're in the series, and we are trucking along. If you see behind me, the list is getting long, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But if it's your first time here, you can go to our website. You can find this graphic on sermons, and you can catch up. We're spending time in John's Gospel, in John chapter 13 through 17. It's Jesus' last night with his disciples. It's his last night. And these are the last words that he's saying. He's literally passing on his ministry to these disciples. And what we're doing is, is, is we're answering this question. What are the marks of an upper room disciple? Because it wasn't just anybody that was in that room. It was Jesus' core leadership. And these guys and girls answered the call in such a way that, think about it, we are now here in Popper Bluff, Missouri, in 2022, studying these words, that now Christianity is almost half the population of the entire world because of these 12 disciples who answered the call. And and what we're saying for us as a church is we want to be upper room disciples. We want to be the ones who answer the call and our entire life is devoted to following in the footsteps of Jesus. And, and and maybe as an introduction today, this will be a little bit helpful. Um, for some of you, um, you know this, but, but we are part of the Grace family of churches. And it's a network and a family of churches that have the same mission and mindset. And this past week, or actually the week before last, um, I was able to fly out to Washington, D.C. and meet with all of the Grace pastors. Um, uh, 
this, the Grace Pastor in D.C., they are actually a church plant, but they are getting ready to purchase this historic church building downtown. And it's great because they're going to renovate it. They're going to make all things new. And this one church that was like dilapidated is now going to remain a house of worship. But check it out. It's not just any church. It's actually the Dutch Reformed Church that Teddy Roosevelt attended while he was president. And so there's this pew that has this little plaque that said uh, Teddy sat there. And so like I hurried up and like sat in that thing. It was like great. And I was just like, I'd never been to Washington before. And it was incredible. And I love history. And we were in downtown. And they're like renovating the building. And it was just like all the feels. I was just feeling all of the feels while I was there. Well, we were walking downtown, and, and we had a little bit of time, and so we were going to see some historical sites. And so we're, we're walking downtown, and we pass through this beautiful neighborhood and this market, and then all of a sudden, literally, we had walked a little bit, and to my right is the White House. And I'm like, that's the White House. This is incredible. So here's the thing. Um, I, I had to fly in the day before um, because these guys live in metropolitan cities. And I was like, well, I need to catch a donkey and ride a bicycle and find the guy with the boat that can take me to the airport. And so the flights were only the day before. So I had to fly in late that evening. So I had a backpack and then I had an extra overnight in my hand. We're walking downtown and it's kind of a hassle. And when I see the White House, so excited that I set my bag down and run. You already know. I didn't. I set my bag down and ran to the gate, like right here to take this picture to send it to my friends and family and everybody. And I'm like, I'm here. This is great. Um, well, that I mean, right after this picture, um, I got to meet them. I got to meet the Capitol Police. Because they're not fond of guys who are bald-headed with tattoos setting bags down running places. And the other pastors were saying my name, Jason, Jason. And I thought they were like wanting to take my photo or something like that. And they were saying, hey, you kind of can't do that. And so um, the Capitol Police were great. Um, they searched my bag and I didn't have any contraband, which was awesome, and all of that stuff. And and then I started seeing everything a little bit different. Um, there were all these gates and there were these people with um, these badges and these passes and all of these signs, so many signs, like restricted area, restricted area, you can't go past here, you can't go there. And um, it, it just made me remember... Um, You could say this, all of those areas were holy. Now, don't get it confused. I'm not meaning that when I was there that it was sacred and holy in that sense. I'm meaning the very definition of the word. You see, the word holy means to be separated and distinct. It's it's not normal. 
in that sense. That's what the word holy means. So, so just a moment ago, when we sang to God, and we said, God, you are holy. And how beautiful was the line, right? That, that you shine brighter than the sun. It's incredible. You're holy. What we are saying to God is, God, you are other. You are separate. You are distinct. You are not a normal, ordinary being. You are God. You are holy. And I was reminded of the passage in Leviticus when God tells the people of Israel, He tells Moses, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. It's like, wait, come again? Right? It's like, we get, you're holy, you're separate, you're distinct, you're other, you're not ordinary, you are God. You created the cosmos. But then God says, um, remind my people that because they are my people, they are other, they are separated, they are holy, they are distinct. And when you kind of understand that and look at that, it it almost sets in and becomes pretty heavy. And I know the question you're all having in your mind is very simply this. How can sinners become holy? Because when I start talking to you, like we're all good with God being holy. But when I start talking about you being holy, you start thinking of like Mother Teresa and stained glass windows. And you're like, I, listen, um, I'm not in that category because if you watched our ride to church this morning as a family, I would be on the prayer list. Okay, like... Goodness gracious. And um, I want to say this. When, when I walked in this morning and I saw the list, I just felt like the, the Spirit of God say, I know when you look at that list and we start marching through this series, that list is getting pretty long. Those are characteristics of an upper room disciple. And I know what we begin to think. Oh, no. Another to-do list. Great. It's more to add to the plate now. That's not a list of upper room disciples, Jason. That's a list of everything I'm not. Okay? But listen, that's not a to-do list. That's not more things to do. Don't miss this. That's who we are. That list is a reminder of who we are. It's not to achieve and do, but rather to rest, behold, and believe that this is who God has made us to be. And how can we do this? How can sinners be made holy? What is this all about? Well, we're in a second section now in John's Gospel where he's talking about the Holy Spirit. How can God's people be holy? How can we be separate? How can we be distinct? Well, it's, it's this. And it's the big idea for today. Upper room disciples live holy lives because the Holy Spirit lives in them. We are holy in lifestyle. We are separate. 
We are distinct. And now, when I say that, some of you who maybe grew up in church and have a little bit of background, when I say holy and lifestyle, you're like, oh yeah, there's a whole list of things that we are against. That's right, we got picket signs, man. And no, 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 that, that's not, that's not it at all. It's not what we are against. It's actually, we are distinct because of what we are for. And what we possess, which is love, forgiveness, peace, all of those things, that is what separates us from the rest of the world. And and we learned last week that Jesus said that, listen, you're going to be hated by the enemy. You're going to be hated by the world, by Satan and his workers and their effects. And now it builds on one another. Why are we hated? We are hated because we are separate and distinct. We do not operate the way the world operates. Let's get real practical here. Ready? Ready to get offended? Love you. Welcome to Westside. So the way we use money is different than the rest of the world. The way we handle conflict is different than the rest of the world. Our dating life, our sexuality, all of those things are different because God is different. And if we are his people, we live that way because the spirit he has given us. So the distinct question now, we know, how can sinners be made holy? Well, it's through the Holy Spirit. So the question now is this. How does the Holy Spirit help me live a holy life? What am I supposed to do? What does this look like? Okay, here we go. Before we start the sermon, I know what I need to do. Because some of you type A and some of you go-getters are like, yeah, baby, get a to-do list. And I love a to-do list, baby. I'm about to check this thing off and I'm about to... Listen, here's what's really dangerous in preaching. Really dangerous. Um, I could give you the list and you could go out and try to check it off. And, and, and like, I get it. I know what I do. Like, like you could be motivated maybe to Wednesday, like maybe Thursday if you're really saved. Okay. Right. And I could give you the list and all we would do is we would leave like a bunch of little Pharisees. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. And because I do this. I hold it up to God and I say, you love me because I did this. Hey, can I just tell you today that that's not the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is not about what you do, but it's news. It's an announcement of what Jesus has done for you. So here's what, here's what I need you to do. In just a second, I'm going to have you take a deep breath and I want you to let it out. And when you let it out, I want you to say these words. It doesn't depend on me. I don't know. I don't know why you came today, but that's your word. That's your word. I don't know about you, but I don't need another list. I need God to save me, initiate, form, and do all of that. So ready? Ready? Here we go. You're in the sermon now. You ready? Okay. Take a deep breath. Let it out. And say, it doesn't depend on me. So here we go. How does the Holy Spirit help me live a holy life? Well, the first thing is this. The Holy Spirit points me to Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit points me to Jesus. Look at what he says right there in verse 14. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you. Jesus is speaking about the Spirit again. It's the second time he references it in the upper room. Incredible. It's, it's not worth just mentioning once, by the way, um, because I'm entrusting you with, I don't know, everything, right? And so, I mean, by this time, they've got to be getting crushed. They're just like, oh, so we're, now we're going to die? <laughs> like, um, hello, I don't know, John, did you sign up for, and it's like, well, tell Peter to tell him. I didn't know we were going to do all this. And now Jesus goes, oh, yeah, by the way, God empowers you to do this. And so he says, he, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. For he will take, this is crazy. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Right here in this verse, we have one of the most central teachings of how the Trinity works. I know that's a $2 word, but so is pumpkin spice mocha frappuccino. And you get that every day before work, all right? Listen, it, it is the very nature of who God is. There is one what, one God, three who. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Wish I had an illustration, which I could do something, but I can't because it's a divine mystery, okay? But know this, before there was something, and before there was time, and before there was something, there was someone. There was God in perfect relationship and in harmony. And Jesus is showing us the purpose of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit love? What does the Holy Spirit love to do? What's point of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I think in the church, there's there's a ditch on either side of the road. And so some of us have grown up being scared of the Holy Spirit. So we grew up in a church where it was Father, Son, and Holy Bible, right? And then some of us grew up on the other side where it was always miraculous, always in an event, always a feeling, always all of those things. But right here, Jesus says, here's the point Of the Holy Spirit. And the point of the Holy Spirit is to point to me. (laughs) Maybe this will help. Um, Do you guys remember um, the, the, I'm sorry, it's going to be offensive, the old TV show, um, the Johnny Carson show, right? I mean, before Jimmy Fallon, before Kimmel, before anything, there was Johnny Carson, man. I mean, this was it. If you made it on the Johnny Carson show, you made it, man. All comedians, all musicians, all everybody wanted to be on Johnny Carson. This guy was late night TV. But he was only late night TV because of his partner, Ed McMahon. This guy, I mean, this duo was incredible. They loved each other. They laughed. They all of that. But do you remember the beginning of the show? Ed McMahon had one job. And he was to introduce Johnny Carson. And long before Stephen King and long before Jack Nicholas, right, in The Shining, Ed McMahon would go, and here's... Johnny, right? And here's Johnny. And Johnny Carson comes out. Hey, listen, can I just tell you, I'm sorry, but this is the way my mind works. But what the Spirit of God does in your life is when you're in a conflict and when you're in a bind. I'm preaching now, but you ain't talking to me. And when you're suffering and when you're in the dark and when you don't know what else to do, the Spirit of God comes to you and says, here's Jesus. 
here's Jesus. Because the answer is always Jesus. So in the heat of the argument, you need Jesus. On the mountaintop, when things are real, you need Jesus. In the valley, when there's darkness and it's not good and you don't know what to do, you need Jesus. And isn't it good to know that God does not ask something of us and just leave us there. But He tells us what He wants, but our God is so gracious that He also empowers you to do the very thing that He has asked. And that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The point of the Spirit is to point to Jesus. And so I know what we're asking. Well, well, how can I get the presence of the Spirit? And, and what is that? And what does that look like? I love what one commentator, um, Frederick Buner, said. He said this, The Holy Spirit is most present where Jesus is most central. That's good. The Holy Spirit is most present where Jesus is most central. That's why the spotlight is always on Jesus. For I am the truth and the life. And no man comes to God. You don't come to the Father apart from Jesus. Well, how do I find Jesus? I'm glad you asked. That's the work of the Spirit. And the Spirit draws you to Himself. How do I live a holy life? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do to empower me to live that life? He always points you to Jesus. The second thing that I see is this. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. But number two, the Holy Spirit persuades the heart. The Holy Spirit persuades the heart. We need to do a little bit of teaching here. Look at verse 18. I'm sorry, not verse 18. It's actually verse 8. Jesus says this, And when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, here it is, He will convict the world, and, and, and then He starts giving a list. I want to spend time on that little word right there, convict. Because I think we're really confused about it. That when the Spirit comes, Jesus says, He's going to convict. And I think that when you hear the word convict, you hear the word condemn or accuse. To point out and magnify that you're off base and that you're failing and this and the other. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That when we come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, God does not deal with us according to our sins. Oh, that was a good spot for an amen. You didn't even say anything, right? That God does not deal with us according to our sins. But God has tossed them as far as the east is from the west. But when his children go astray, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart and seal it for thy courts above. When his children go astray, it is the Holy Spirit. Listen, when, when you hear convict, do away with condemn and think convince. That's literally the definition of the word. 
to convince you that this is the right path, that this is the way to go. And listen, I think we need to do a little bit of correcting here because us as Christians are really good at forgetting our place. And here's what I mean by this. Everything that I'm teaching you right now is about what God does. What God does. Not what we do. It is the Spirit of God that convinces and persuades people's hearts and minds. Which means you don't have the power to save anyone. You do, you are an instrument, yes. You are a vessel, yes. Hey parents, lean in. This is gonna offend you a ton, so lean in for me here, okay? I know you love those babies, and I know you'd give your life for them, but at the end of the day, you can't save anyone. But it's God that does that. I love what Billy Graham once said, and he said these words. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. My job is to love. It's not my job to convict. It's not my job to judge. It's just my job to love. That's what he's commanded. He said it three times so far in the upper room. Just just for a moment, I feel really prompted to ask this question. How different would your life look if you lived that Amen. I can tell you one thing. It would be so much more freeing. Oh, so much less anxiety. Because I've got a, I've got, well, what if they, um, they're not supposed, um, you're not, I didn't say that. You're not, um, uh, 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 how much conflict in our life is self-inflicted for fear that we are losing control? And the reality is it's just an illusion and we never had it anyway. So, so what is the Spirit persuading us specifically? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus is the greatest preacher that ever lived. And he has three points. Three points as to what the Holy Spirit persuades the heart. The first one is this. The Spirit persuades about sin. The Spirit of God does that. It's right there in verse 9. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. What do you mean, Jesus? Verse 9. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Um, Sin is so powerful that we are blind to our own self-deception. You understand that? Sin is so blinding that we, left to our own devices, cannot see our own sin. But it is the Spirit of God that says, no, 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 no. That's not the way. Sin overpromises and underdelivers every single time. It's the Spirit that does that. Secondly, the Spirit persuades about righteousness. You're like, righteousness, preacher, I didn't grow up in church. That's another $3 word and so is carburetor. Okay, but listen. Righteousness, think rightness. A right standing. I, I learned as a kid righteousness that, that, that God looks as, at you as if you had never sinned. 
the rightness of Jesus, that when we are convicted of sin and we cry out to the Lord and say, I can't do it my way, I understand that debt, like we sang, we stood neath the debt that we could never afford. And now we go, what's next? What am I supposed to do? It's Jesus. And I give Jesus my broken, dirty, messed up life that I fumbled on my own, I give it to Him, and then He gives me His life, and His right standing with the Father, and His goodness, and His love, and His mercy. This is such a one-way street, it's unbelievable that the Spirit persuades us about that standard. But then lastly this, the Spirit also persuades about judgment as well. Look at what Jesus says there in verse 11. Concerning judgment... Because the ruler of this world is judged. You can write in the margin of your Bible, Yahtzee, right? Game over. Done. That now the lies, the imprisonment, being a slave to sin, that power is broken by the power of Jesus Christ's righteous, perfect life. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that we now can live as a freed people. That's why we go nuts at Easter. Why? Because sin doesn't have the last word. Because death doesn't have the last word. And the Spirit of God is the one that persuades us to this. But, but oftentimes I think that we're, we're afraid of that. Um, you know, maybe you've been dealing with, with maybe your own children or grandchildren or something once, and, and you were at the house, and, and you were like, hey, I'm cooking, I'm doing something. Hey, can you run over, look in the pantry, or go out in the garage and get blank, like get this for me? And they come back in .17 seconds. They haven't even had time to go in the garage. But they come back and go, can't find it. It's not there. Or as one of my kids says, doesn't exist. (laughs) Doesn't exist. It doesn't exist anymore. You're like, you didn't even, did you even go to the garage? Did you even go to your room? And so then, as a parent or grandparent or whatever, you're like, here's my time to shine. I'm making a point right here, buddy. So you grab their hand and you walk to the place. And they're like, see, it's nowhere here. And then all you have to do is actually lift up and look at something. And, you know, actually put, it's a crazy concept, to put forth effort into something and you go, boom, it's just, it's right there, right? Um, We did that the other day when we were in the garage and one of my kids, it was the exact same scenario. And when I thought about it, and when I grabbed their hand and I took them to the spot and we looked around, I thought, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us find what we've hidden deep within our hearts. Deep within our hearts. And here's the reason why. It's not to bring it up so you can get judged. We don't believe that. Jesus Christ was judged in our place for our sins. There is no condemnation for you. But whatever's hidden will never be healed. So listen, I'm begging you. I know Thanksgiving's coming. And I know Christmas is coming. 
And I know now you're going to have to be around the family and you're going to have to sit around that table and you're going to have to. And listen, all I'm saying is, is when you feel the spirits prompting, taking your hand and guiding to you to what is hidden, do not resist because it is a loving father showing us what we've hid deep within our own hearts that if it stays there, will continue to hurt us. The Spirit points to Jesus. And the Spirit persuades the heart about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. And the last thing is this. The Holy Spirit propels us to the truth. Constantly. Just like a locomotive. All the time. That's what He does. When we've wandered away, do you know why we've wandered? Because we've believed the lie. Parents, this is so important to understand. That's why external behavior is not the goal. But rather, not behavior modification, but heart transformation. Because when the child ate the cookie out of the cookie jar, who, me? Yes, you. Couldn't be, right? And, and, and you say, why did you eat that or did you eat that? And they say, no, and there's just chocolate chip all up on their grill, right? What happened deep within their heart this, they believed that that cookie would give them the joy, the peace, and the comfort more than the word that you spoke to them. Now, fast forward to your life, parents. And every time we wander away, do, do I really date like God told me to date? And do I really forgive? And do I really? And we don't do because we've believed a lie. It's what Adam and Eve believed. I can go around God and be God rather than submit to God and believe what He has is good. And what the Spirit does is He constantly propels us to the truth. Look at the verses right there in the text. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Can I, can I pause for a second? That's my golden nugget this week. Every week when I'm studying the Bible, I try to find a golden nugget that's just for me and not for you because I'm super selfish, okay, right? And when I read that, I thought this. I'm a truth guy. I really love the truth. I think the truth will set you free. And here's a tension in my life, and, and you can uh, you know, kind of relate to this. Oftentimes when I sit down at a table or, or I speak the truth, um, it never goes well. Anybody? Anyone else? Anyone else? Right? Um, truth, this is going to be real controversial, and check me on it if I'm wrong. I'm open, but you're wrong. But anyway, right? Okay? <laughs> truth is not the ultimate thing at that moment. You nervous? You nervous? Someone's capacity for truth is the most important thing in that moment. The truth is right. But how much truth can they bear in that moment? And I have sinned. Grievously a lot of my relationships because I've dumped a truckload of truth. And they were already drowning. It was their capacity in that moment. Jesus says, I've got so much more to teach you, but you can't handle it. Look how gentle Jesus is. Oh, it's such a safe, beautiful place to be in the arms of Jesus. 
You can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Read the book of Acts. The book of Acts in the entirety of verse 13. It's it's all of it. And also, do you remember what Jesus said back in chapter 14? He said the same thing again. He said back in 14, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. You know, sometimes... When, when we have that devotional time in the morning, can, can I just confess something? I know you guys are a lot more holy than me, but sometimes I only have like maybe 20 minutes because I hit snooze a little bit. And so the day is kind of already starting. So I try to hurry up and read it. And then when I close my Bible and I close my journal and I slide it to the side, in my heart I go, I don't even know what I just read. Oh, y'all, y'all, y'all ain't that way? Okay. Y'all are over here, you know, memorizing Leviticus and stuff like that. You know what's beautiful about it? Is God's word never returns void. Ever. I can take this to the bank. Every second you devote to investing in God's word will never be wasted. Never. And then there's moments where the spirit of God brings to your mind that scripture or what was said. Jesus is saying that you don't have to do this on your own. That what God demands from you, He also gives to you, which is everything. And so, in closing, as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, um, in 2012, it was over about 37,000 runners ran what is known as the London Marathon. 37,000 people. It's insane to think about. They ran the London Marathon. And the marathon's 26.2 miles. It's incredible, right? I love the people who are like, I don't run unless something's chasing me. You know what I mean? 26.2 miles. I mean, it's an incredible feat, right? Um, the winner was Wilson from Kenya, and he actually set the world record. He ran it in two hours and four minutes. 26 miles. I mean, the Kenyan guys is unbelievable, their, their skill. But in the book that I was reading, it didn't focus on Wilson. This is so good. It didn't focus on that name. It focused on this name, Simone Clark which nobody knows. That's Simone there. Nobody knows Simone because she finished dead last. It took her seven hours and 45 minutes to run the marathon. Almost eight hours. And she didn't run it alone. She had her friend Tally next to her. Why? Simone is a 39-year-old epileptic. She's had seizures all of her life. And her goal growing up was to run the London Marathon. 
But because of safety reasons, obviously, she couldn't run it alone. She had to have someone next to her in case she went in to seizures. It says this, that everything was fine until mile eight and everything changed. The exhaustion began to set in and muscle cramps, which then triggered the first violent seizure. Simone fell to the ground, but she didn't hit the ground because Tally caught her. And she was unconscious for a full 30 seconds as she was seizing. Over the next 18 miles, Simone had 19 seizures while she was running. She got there at the end, and they interviewed her, and she said these words. At mile 15, I started to break down into tears. I was so frustrated and disappointed and sad. We'd lost the pace. I couldn't do it. But at that stage, I had already had many seizures. And then I realized, I'm, I'm still standing. And I looked and I saw Tally next to me. And I thought, if she's with me, I can finish. So I thought, tough stuff. I'm either going to die or finish. She finished the race. Listen, I tell you that to say this. You don't have a tally next to you. You have the very spirit of God inside of you. And as one author put it, he put it this way. The Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. I know when you're praying and in moments when it's tough and you think, Jesus, if you were just sitting in the chair across from me, I could do this. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's better that I go. It's better that I go because I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The Spirit of God is going to come and He's going to live inside of you. And some of you are in mile eight of the race and you're exhausted, and you're wore out, and there's so much going on in your life, and I'm here to tell you, don't give up. The Spirit of God is there. Don't give up on the marriage. Don't give up on the relationship. Don't give up on the temptation. Don't give up on the addiction. The Spirit of God is there to pick you up and to keep you going. Listen, the Christian life is not one of, I can't fall. The Christian life is when you fall, you get back up and you get back up again and you get back up again. And the spirit is there to say, keep going, keep going, keep going. Listen, upper room disciples live holy lives only because the Holy Spirit lives in them. So listen, here's the application questions today. Here's here's what you need now. The first one is this. How is the Holy Spirit calling you to be separate and distinct in your life? You know what it is right now. You've got it. What is it that the Spirit has been grabbing your hand lately, going to the garage of your heart, saying, hey, up under here, this is is cancerous here. We've got to get this out because I love you. What is it? Is it money? Is it really? I don't know what it is. The second thing is, is this. Where are you resisting the Spirit's prompting? 
Is it a phone call? Maybe. Oh my. Maybe through the power of the Spirit of God, you write a letter today. And it starts out and says, I know it's been a long time. It's been many years. And we've said some horrible things to each other. And you've hurt me and I've hurt you. But today I'm just saying, may the Lord bless you. May He keep you. And may His face shine upon you. And you just leave it. What if that, what if that is the power of the Spirit of God in our life? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today. God, so grateful to know that this list on the wall is not a list to do. It's a reminder of who we are already in you, Jesus. And God, I believe that your presence is in this place today. In spirit, you are speaking, you are moving right now, up and down this aisle, up and down these pews, searching the depths of our hearts and of our mind out of pure love and grace and mercy for us. God, I pray today that we would be so bold as to take the Spirit's hand and to take the next step, Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.